Presented by Abitron Restoration Products, the Angie App, LL Flooring, and RiverbendHome.com. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. So glad to be here talking to you about your home projects. If you've got a project on your to-do list, we would love for you to slide it over to ours by calling us with your questions at 888-MONEY-PIT or posting them online at moneypit.com because that's what we do. We help you create your best home ever. And we've got a lot to cover on today's show. Coming up first, have you ever noticed that over the winter, garages always seem to shrink I mean, they do at my house because the stuff piles up. And that's why (laughs) we think that now is a good time to make the garage your first big spring cleaning project. We're going to show you how to get that done in four steps. And building a backyard deck is one surefire way to increase your home's living space for the warmer months, as well as to add to your home's value. But can it be a do-it-yourself project or one that always needs a pro? We're going to walk you through the pros and cons of a DIY deck build just ahead. And have you ever had a wall or ceiling crack that you fixed once? twice, maybe three times, because it always seems to come back and crack over and over again. Well, we're going to share an easy DIY trip that will let you repair it once and for all in just a bit. But first, let us help you create your best home ever. Give us a call. Let us know what you are working on so we can help you get everything around your money pit in tip-top shape. 888-666-3974. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Heading over to Rhode Island with Linda, who wants to build a patio. Tell us about your project. What I would like to do, actually, is make it a combination of a patio so I could use it during the summer and also use it as a carport during the winter. And I was wondering, as far as a base, what would be the best? I have a form, and he used that. And he made all the patio blocks. Oh, so he basically made his own paver stones, it sounds like, by pouring them inside this form. Right, but I was afraid if I poured cement into the form... How do you get it out? How do I get it out? Okay, let me back up for a second. So when you say carport, you intend then for this uh, patio to have a roof on it, is that correct? Yes, I would like it to, where I could still have the sides all open, Mm -hmm. but be able... Because I have a collectible car that okay. I wanted to put in. Okay. Now, what kind of car is it? It's a 1966 Ford LTD. Oh, wow. Well, that's kind of cool. All right. Well, let's <laughs> see what we can do to help you out. So, first of all, um, aside from, you know, these forms and this and that, we really need to talk about how you're going to, how you're going to do this base. Now, if you do concrete, that's the most permanent and durable surface. I would recommend, since you're planning on parking the car there, of doing a slab there that is at least six inches thick, or maybe four to six inches thick, nothing any thinner than that, and make it a reinforced slab. Now, it's not a DIY project if you've not poured concrete before. It's not a hard project, but you have to properly prepare the surface, and then what will happen is a mason will 
sort of dig out the top layer of dirt. They'll put stone in. They'll tamp it down, pack it really well. They'll form the outside perimeter and then pour the concrete and finish it. That's going to be a solid, permanent surface. If you were to do something that was like paper bricks, or even if you did these sections, and by the way, there's forms available uh, to do just that now. If your grandfather's old form doesn't work, um, but the problem with that is you've got to, again prepare the base in the same way. It's got to be solidly tamped. It's more work than the concrete to, to do. Uh, and the problem is you may get some weeds and stuff that grow through it over time. And if you don't do a good job preparing it, it's going to get all uneven and look wobbly and look terrible in just a few short years. So getting that slab right or getting that base right is really the most important part of this. Now, once you do that, then, you know, in terms of the carport roof, you could attach the roof to the side of the house. You're going to need columns. They'll have to be properly secured to the base of the concrete. You're going to need sway bracing so it doesn't sway back and forth from side to side. You know, there's a fair amount of work. It sounds simple, but this is a, this is a big project. Uh, and if you don't get it right, uh, I'll tell you, I have a neighbor here near where we live, and then her husband, who was a great guy, built a real solid carport next to their garage, and it came down the last storm. You know, you got to get it right. It was open on the sides, and it just it was just time for it to go, uh, according to Mother Nature. So I encourage you to get a really good solid base. Um, concrete is best. And you can finish the concrete, by the way. You don't have to look at just concrete. You know, there's a company called Dice Coatings that have some beautiful finishes, including Terrazzo, that you can um, cover that concrete surface with. So it could look great as a patio, but you got to get it right. If it's not solid, you're not going to be happy. I think I need someone that's in that type of business. I think it's beyond my DIY. Yeah, I think you do. I really appreciate it because I probably would have started and had a major disaster with us. So. <laughs> Well, uh, you can download the Angie app and find a contractor using Angie. Uh, it works really well, and you can sort through contractors that are in your area, read reviews from from other folks that have uh, had projects done with them, and maybe use that as a start to identify the best contractor for this project that you're tackling in Rhode Island. Okay? Oh, thank you ever so much for all your help. You certainly have solved my problem. Good luck with that project. Dan in Pennsylvania is on the line with a plumbing question. What can we help you with? Yes, uh, my son has an older house with uh, cast iron or steel drain pipes, and they go. The main line goes straight down from the toilet and then under the basement floor. And he's continually getting clogged because of the the cast iron gets rough over time and tends to catch things. So I'm wondering. I realize normal drain lines you drop them an inch a foot, so you don't. Uh, get too too fast to drain and pull, siphon out the uh, traps. But can you, with the main line, can you do pretty much whatever you want with that? Uh, like, say, 245s and then straight down to get it to the edge of the property? And then uh, that, well, that way I don't have to tear up a little bit to get to uh, out of the house with a plastic pipe. Well, you may not have to tear anything up. There's a pipe lining technology that you can consider where essentially they reline the cast iron pipes with a fiberglass sleeve that's smooth and doesn't have those types of obstructions. It also helps stop root growth that can sometimes get into the seams of, of cast iron piping. Um, and that can be done with the pipes in place. You wouldn't have to tear anything up. I would have to cut the pipe, I guess, because it goes down and then underneath a portion of the basement at like some sort of a, probably a 90 and there may be a trap in 
under the basement floor as well. Well, but all of this can be done without you having to access it because the way the pipelining works is, first of all, they put a camera down there to figure out which way the drains are going, and they can do that with a pipe camera. And then they run what looks kind of like a fiberglass sock through the pipe, and it's kind of like if you can imagine turning a sock inside out, they do that with water pressure, and it turns inside out and sort of forms against the uh, inner walls of the cast iron pipe and then sort of dries and hardens to this sort of very strong, smooth surface that won't obstruct the flow. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Dan. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, have you ever noticed that over the winter months, garages seem to get smaller as the stuff is piling up? Well, that's why now is a great time to dive right in and make that garage your first big, and I mean big, spring cleaning project. Here's how you can get it done in four steps. So first up, clean it out and be brutal. I mean, we're talking about everything. I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of stuff in that garage that you're never going to use again. So your first step is to take three big bins, one to fill with items to donate or sell, one to fill with items to toss, and one to fill with items you intend to keep, and move everything out of the garage, putting it in one of those three bins or on the curb if it doesn't fit. If you don't get this stuff out of your house now, we're going to be having this very same conversation next year. Uh, because it's going to sit on those shelves for another year or so. Plus, the only way you really know, I mean, you really, really know what you have in the first place is to empty that space completely. I mean, this advice applies to garages as well as closets. If you really want to do a thorough job, empty the whole darn thing out first. Yeah, it's a daunting project because once you empty everything out, the only way to go is to put the things back in. So you really have to do the project. Now, next, you want to think about vertical storage. Garages have a very small footprint, and that's why the best place to find available storage is to look up. Now, smartly designed shelves, overhead storage, all of that will help you find ample space for a surprisingly vast amount of storage that you would otherwise be tripping over for rakes, shovels, ladders, brooms and anything else that's kind of shaped like that garage organizing racks are a great option and so much safer when you get stuff up off the floor now if you can't figure out what to do with the rest of the stuff that's left use hooks i mean hooks are great the big i'm talking about the kind that have the lag bolt attached to them you can use these for chainsaws for bikes for extension cords you know these hooks really do it all we've got several of them in our garage and we really like them i've got all of my extension cords hanging on them just make sure that you're always screwing them into a stud or a ceiling joist so that gravity doesn't uh, get the best of you <laughs> yeah. And lastly, guys, you've got to label everything. I mean, have you ever ended up buying another item that you know you've got floating around in the garage, but you just can't find it? So you're like, oh, I'll just get it. And then, of course, you find it immediately after you buy it. <laughs> so instead of getting bogged down in the hunt, you want to make sure that you clearly label storage containers. And you might find it useful to use a color coding system like maybe red and green bins for your holiday decor, Blue for, say, clothing you're going to uh, donate if the kids have outgrown it. You know, black for seasonal sports items, anything like that. And, you know, keep a chart of what bins what so you know exactly what you're looking for. Yep. Good advice. You know, garage organization doesn't have to be the biggest headache of your spring cleaning projects, but if you approach it logically, you're going to discover that you can make that garage space much more functional again, and you might actually be able to fit in your car. Just think about it. What a concept. A car in a garage. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? 
That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than a hundred times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T, MONEYPIT. Now we've got B in North Carolina on the line. What's going on at your Money Pit? Well, I have this closet that is fairly long, maybe about six feet long, and okay. it is a rental property of mine. Okay. And the tenant who has more clothes than anybody I've ever met <laughs> put a whole bunch of suits on there, literally. Right. Oh, those are heavy. Put a whole bunch of yeah suits on there, and it bought the the uh, rod, and it pulled the supporting boards from the wall. Okay. And it, it's hard to keep getting these contractors to do small jobs. They charge yeah. a lot. Yep. So I wanted to find out from you, how could I myself, who's a novice at DIY projects, tackle this kind of a job? Okay. So let me ask you this. Can you describe how that 
closet rod is supported. You mentioned it pulls it pulled the board out of the wall. Uh, a lot of times we'll see boards that have holes drilled in the middle of them, and then the board itself is attached to the wall, and then the rod kind of sits on uh, on that in, inside that hole. Is that what you're looking at? There is on either end of the rod that is the situation. But then what we also have are these supporting racks, if you will, that are placed every so often yep. through the length of the closet. Yep. So he literally not only did that wood rod bow, but those supporting racks that are then nailed to a board that is nailed into the drywall that literally pulled away from the wall. Everything pulled from the wall. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's what you need to do. First of all, you need to completely empty, empty the closet and take out the shelf, which was probably loose on top of that assembly as you've described it. Now, um, what I'm going to call is the cleating, which is the wood strips that are attached to the drywall on the long wall and also on the short walls. The first step is to make sure that those are solidly attached. And to do that, you need to locate where the studs are in the wall. Those are the wood framing members that are behind the drywall. Now, an easy way to do this, even though you're kind of putting some tiny holes in the wall, but you know what? It's kind of worth it, and I'm going to tell you how to do this and hide it at the same time. If you were to take a small finish nail, these are the thin nails, you know, one that's about three inches long but without a big head on it, and if you were to tap that nail or drive that nail into the wall uh, where you think the studs are and they're probably going to be close to where those brackets were but you sometimes you can knock on the wall with your with your hand like you're knocking on a door and you'll hear that it's a little different sound where the stud is but if you find out where that stud is and then put a little pencil mark on that wood cleat where that is because you're going to drive a screw in there and so you want to find the studs you can use that nail to kind of if you hold the nail close to the top of the cleat where the shelf's ultimately going to cover it you can even like tap it in a little bit till you feel the wood and then wiggle it out so now you know where the stud is now when you once you know where the stud is what you're going to do is use what are called drywall screws or hardened screws in a home center uh, anybody can direct you to these they're black screws they have a phillips head bit on them you want to get one that's long enough to go through that cleat and into the wall so i would think about two and a half inches long will do it and then the way you drive them in is not with a screwdriver but with a drill so a drill with a screwdriver tip on it you start real slow and you can drill right through that piece of wood right through the drywall and right into the stud. And you know what, B, when you hit that stud, you're going to know it because that that uh, screw is going to be in there nice and solid, and there's no way that wood is ever going to pull off again. So you want to do that every place you have a stud. Uh, in the in the corners or the sides, there's always going to be a stud in the corner. Sometimes you have to angle the screws a little bit to get to that. Once you have that done, then you can replace the shelf back on top. You can put the uh, the closet rod back in, uh, and you're going to want to attach that closet rod uh, well to the wood cleats on the ends. And then again, depending on how it's designed, I don't know if it has a hole or sometimes there's a bracket, but you want to use screws for this, not nails. Always use these drywall screws. They are like the miracle fastener for all sorts of home improvement projects because they don't pull out. Uh, and then in terms of that bracket uh, that is attaching and is holding those intermittent sort of supports, now, you, normally the cleat behind the shelf is about four inches tall. You're going to have probably another piece of wood that goes down the full length of the bracket. And again, that has to be screwed into the stud. And then you can attach the brackets to that wood. Now, 
attaching the brackets to the wood, you don't necessarily have to use the same size screws, but you have to use screws. And if you get that all done right and lined up well, there's no way this guy in all of his suits is going to pull that shelf and that bar down again. Okay? It's really not a difficult project to do. It's a good basic DIY project. Should I change the rod to a metal rod? or You could change it to a metal rod. And if you get a metal rod, you can find one that's like telescoping. So they'll they'll have a rod that's like works for like five to seven feet, for example. And if your closet's six feet, you extend it. And the metal rods, at the end, they have like a built-in bracket that sort of hangs on top of that wood cleat. And then again, it screws in. So that might be a little easier for you, a little nicer uh, for you as well, and possibly even strong, stronger than the wood rod. Well, that's great instruction. All right. There you go, B. Good luck with that project. Kevin in Maryland, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Hi. Uh, I've got a washer and a dryer on the second floor of my house. And uh, it seems in the last year uh, I'm getting a lot more vibration and a lot more sound out of those units. Um, and I can feel it a lot more in the second floor. So I'm wondering if there's anything I can do to, to kind of reinforce something in order to limit that vibration. Because I've got uh, two small children now, and my amount of washing and drying is not going to go down at all. Well, two things. Um, first of all, you want to double-check that the appliance is absolutely level, because if it's slightly out of level, you'll get more vibration. Then the second thing that you could do is pick up some anti-vibration pads for the feet of the washing machine. These are like rubber blocks that are indented where the washing machine legs sort of sit inside of it. Then they sit on the floor, and they help absorb some of the vibration. I have uh, the washer and the dryer actually stacked, full-size units stacked on the second floor of my house. And I put the anti-vibration pads in it, and whenever the machine is spinning... I can literally look at those pads and see them working because, uh, you know, the, the vibration is really being absorbed by them. And in fact, I have also have the, the washer, uh, sitting inside of an overflow pan that's made out of fiberglass. So to get that to work, I had to sort of carve the bottom of the vibration pads to fit sort of the angle of the, of the pan that they're sitting in. So even with that modification, they work and they work well. So I would pick up the anti-vibration pads. They're about 25 bucks for a set of four and you could find those online or I think I found mine at Home Depot. All right, thank you very much. All right, Kevin, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Well, building a backyard deck is one surefire way to increase your home's living space for those warmer months and also to add to your home's value. But can it be a DIY project or is it one that always needs the help of a pro? Let's weigh the pros and the cons of each. All right. If you do do it yourself, you stand to save just by virtue of the labor costs. However, building your backyard deck could eat up a number of weekends. And depending on how quickly you work, I mean, it could be a lot of weekends and then you're wasting your summer building the whole thing rather than enjoying it. And also the DIY option may be perfect if you're planning on a fairly simple square or a rectangular deck. But if things, you know, get more complicated or multi-level in your deck design, things could get a little dicey. And it's especially complicated and potentially even dangerous if the deck you're planning is anything higher than just a foot or two off the ground. Now, hiring a pro is obviously going to result in a costlier project because you've got to pay for their labor. But on the plus side, the pro can get it done quicker, and it's also likely to come out a lot better and be code compliant because the pro is going to take care of those building permits and make sure it's up to code because that's really important, especially if you want to sell your house later. If it turns out that you did this without a permit, the code inspector could actually make you tear it down. Yeah, either way you go, guys, it's super important that you have a plan. So before you even decide who's going to 
build that deck. Spend time researching deck designs, figure out the size and the shape that you want your deck to be. And one trick here, guys, is to outline the deck in your yard using a rope that's going to represent the perimeter of the deck you're going to have. And go ahead and take your furniture and move it around inside that shape. This is where you're going to know that the flow is working well. And you have to keep in mind, like, where am I putting the grill? Or am I going to keep the tables and the chairs away from here? Because there's a step. It sort of gives you a sense of, like, how that space is going to play out so you know if it's right before you start the building process because this is the time to make changes. Yeah, and once you have a strong idea of what you want, you can decide whether you can build it yourself or have it built because the decision to go DIY or pro will just become a lot clearer. We've got great tips on deck design that can help you get started at moneypit.com. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Karen in Pennsylvania is dealing with some mold in the basement. Tell us what's going on. Uh, My mom has a house that the basement is, um, we put it up for sale and nobody noticed this. And one person came in and tore wallpaper off the wall. And we noticed that it had mold from the floor to the ceiling um, and even in the inner walls. So I had a gentleman come and look at it. And he said it would take $30,000 plus. And he would come in remove all the interior walls, all the wood, the paneling, everything off the wall, down to the bare. He would have a chemical put on, clean it, um, and then it would never come back. And then the second guy came in, and he said he would rip everything out, as as he said. He would coat it, clean it, um, and guarantee it that if it did come back, he'd fix it. For $10,000. Yeah, I don't think you need either of these guys. You don't have enough information yet, and I don't think you're talking to the right people. I doubt either of them are are professional road mold mitigators. It sounds to me like they're just trying to size you up for as much money as they can get from you. The first thing you want to do is test the mold and figure out what kind of mold it is. And that's that's done. There's a pretty, couple of easy ways to do that. But basically, you take a sample uh, and you send it out to a lab and they tell you what you got. And then you can kind of design a mitigation plan around that. Um, you know, I need to get a sense as to how much mold is there. But if it's just a little bit of mold behind the behind the uh, wallpaper, you know, you may not need to pull all this out. You might be able to treat it right in place, but it doesn't sound right. Um, Where the bathroom is has an inner wall, and that is halfway down with mold. Okay. How, I mean, how much mold are we talking about here, square footage-wise? Is it like a four-by-four-foot-by-four-foot space? or We're going to say all the outer walls, uh, because we since went around and pulled off some wallpaper here and uh, moved some um, paneling. And we also, the first guy that came in for $30,000 brought in a light. And it, to me, it looked like a black light. But he brought the light in. That was a special light. And it can tell what type of mold it was and where the mold was. That is completely wrong. Do not call that guy back. It is completely wrong. Okay. 
that guy was was uh, not giving you accurate information. He comes in with his magic light that supposedly tells mold. Yeah, they can't actually tell you what kind of mold unless they do a chemical test on a physical sample. Well, it's a mold okay. test. They send it out to a lab and they read it. So right. that guy's a snake oil salesman. Right, but I mean, it's actually holding a piece of that mold and testing it with certain things, and that's done by a lab. It sounds like you could use a basement renovation, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't get too crazy over it. Um, if it's done by the right kind of company, they can take that apart very carefully and dispose of all of that material. And maybe you don't even want to put the walls back. Maybe you just want to leave it unfinished. Oh, good. All right. Well, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Tom in Ohio, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Hi. Uh, yeah, I had a question about uh, cracks in the basement. I've got a home that's about 15 years old, and uh, we're thinking about selling in a year. We've got some uh, cracks in our basement. It's a full basement, and uh, they're probably, I don't know, mostly around an eighth. In some places, they're kind of like chipped up and a little bit bigger than an eighth, and they kind of, a couple of them start out from the drain and kind of spider out. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, at what, to what point they become a concern, especially if we're going to try to resell and what we need to do to uh, address the problem. Okay, Tom, I would not be too concerned about basement floor cracks. Here's why. That basement floor is not structural. Even though it's made of concrete, it's not holding anything up. So it's really just supporting itself. And it cracks for a number of reasons. It may The soil underneath may not have been prepped properly when it was first installed, or the floor could be too thin, or it wasn't reinforced. So what I would do is I would definitely fill them, and there's a number of ways to do that. If there's just an eighth of an inch, Quickcrete makes a concrete patching compound that comes in a caulk tube. It's really easy to apply. So you can squeeze this, comp- this, this patching compound into those cracks, let it solidify. And then what I would do is I would paint the entire floor. I would use an epoxy uh, basement floor painting system. It's a two-part epoxy. It's a chemical cure, so you mix the two, pe- pe- the two parts together. You apply the epoxy. There's usually some sort of a colorant chip that you can put in to give it some density to the surface. Uh, and you probably won't even see those cracks when it's done. And I don't think it's structural, so it's not like you're hiding anything. I think it'll just make the whole thing look really nice when it's finished. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, have you ever tried to repair a stubborn crack using traditional spackle, tape, or even fiberglass, only to find it just opens up all over again? Well, there's a better way to tackle this repair using a product called Crack Coat, and that's made by Abitron. Now, Crack Coat is a specially formulated acrylic emulsion that uses a polyester mesh to bridge over the cracks. It doesn't shrink, it has no odor, and it stays flexible as it dries. Now, this is going to allow the repair to move as the wall expands and contracts, and that's going to leave a seamless repair that's not going to reopen like other fillers or putties. Yeah, this is an amazing product. I have been using it exclusively since we discovered it, and it works for really thin cracks as well as wide cracks, and it's really easy to apply. Uh, here's the steps. You just clean the area where the crack is first, and then you use a small paintbrush, and you brush on this acrylic emulsion, and then you cut cover that area, you cover the crack over with a polyester mesh, which is about the same size as drywall tape, but it presses in and soaks in really nicely. Then once that dries, you put a second coat of the emulsion on top and you're done. You got a seamless, durable repair. It's not going to open up again. And because of the flexibility of this crack coat system, it's really key because it allows for a slight movement even after the product is totally dry, and that prevents the cracks from reappearing. Now, the plaster and drywall crack repair kit includes the crack coat emulsion and the polyester crack bridge fabric for making those flexible repairs to cracked walls and ceilings. 
And once it's dry, you can paint that repaired area with latex or oil-based paint, and you're going to have a totally seamless, durable repair. So if you've got cracks that you'd like to make disappear once and for all, you can find Abitron's crack coat at Amazon and at retailers nationwide or at abitron.com. That's A-B-A-T-R-O-N.com. Deborah in Pennsylvania, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you today? Okay, I'm purchasing a home that has a couple of stains on the ceiling. And it turns out the stains are located directly under the vents. I don't know any other way to explain it, but they're like there's tubes on the seat on the outside where the roof is. So I was told by the inspection um, that those rubber stopper things that go around them need to be replaced. Okay, yeah. So the plumbing vent flashing is what is leaking here. And the plumbing vent flashing consists of an aluminum piece of flash material that goes underneath the roof shingles and a rubber boot that is designed to f- uh, fit over the plumbing pipe. And they very often, that rubber boot will very often uh, crack and deteriorate and does have to be replaced. Not a terribly complicated job. You know, a roofer or a carpenter can do it in about 10 or 15 minutes. They just basically have to peel up a roof shingle or two right around there. You can do that with a flat bar. You can actually uh, lift, put the flat bar under the roof uh, shingle, get it right up to where the nail is and kind of wiggle it back and forth. That nail will come right out. You can kind of disassemble the roof one shingle at a time, replace the flashing vent and put it back together. So pretty easy, straightforward uh, repair project and uh, not the least bit unusual, Deborah. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate you taking my call. Thank you. Joe reached out and says, I thought I was doing everything right by getting a sump pump with a battery backup, but I lost power for so long the battery died and the basement still flooded. Is there anything I can do to prevent that in the future? Yeah, first of all, deal with the source of the flooding, which is almost always a problem with your grating and your gutters. Clean those gutters, get the downspouts extended away. And if you truly want to have backup power uh, protection, you need a whole house generator, Joe. I mean, it really is the best way to go. They're less expensive now than ever before. And once you have one, you wonder how you lived without it, because literally when the power goes out from the street, mine comes on in like 15 seconds. In fact, it comes on so quietly, I sometimes don't even notice that it was on, except that I had to reset my Wi-Fi once. But other than that, I had no idea. So, I mean, it really works seamlessly, and it's an important thing to have today because, let's face it, power is not as reliable as it used to be, and we're starting to see more and more of these blackout situations. And, Joe, the peace of mind that you'll get from that generator is priceless. Well, when it gets too hot to head outside, we've got an idea for a project that lets you bring the outdoors in for years to come. Leslie has tips on how to install a reclaimed wood wall on this week's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Leslie, I just did this project in my house. I took a very old wood bench that had been in my basement for years, and I cut it into paneling. So we had like one by six panels, and we we lined the uh, walls of the basement steps with it, and it looks really cool. Oh, that does look really nice on the step faces. It really does look lovely. And I mean, it's challenging. There's so many paint choices out there, and people get super confused. So why not just do something completely different from paint? I mean, the hottest new trend in design has homeowners covering walls not with paint, but in panels of salvaged wood, just like you did, Tom. And a reclaimed wood accent wall is not just going to get you compliments. It's going to really give you a warm feeling for that room all year long, and it's earth friendly. Now, this is a job that you can hire out, or certainly you can do it yourself. 
If you go the DIY route, you want to select planks or panels from salvage yards or specialty buyers or from manufacturers who are getting in on the trend by selling planks specifically for this purpose. I mean, some of those are even peel and stick. So you want to make sure that you're finding the right product that you're going to feel comfortable working with and is also going to give you that look in the space that you're going for. So when you get to that point, you want to make sure that you carefully look at all of the planks of wood that you see, remove any nails or any other metal that's in there. You can sand the panels of wood if you want, if it needs. Next, you can use a saw. You want to cut those boards to size. Now, inside your house, remove the trim from the wall that you're planning to cover and attach the planks using a level and construction adhesive. And you want to support each plank with a few nails until you know that adhesive is dry. Now, if you use authentic salvaged wood, you might want to consider sealing it afterward to avoid splinters, or maybe that wood might have chemicals in it you don't really know where it came from and that's going to help keep that whatever might be inside that wood actually in the wood but either way this is a great project it works in a ton of different spaces and it will really give you that sort of like california boho vibe if you go with the salvaged wood or you can get a sleeker sort of metro look if you go with something that's more sort of refined but either way it's a great project This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Thank you so much for spending this part of your day with us. Coming up next time on the program, we all love a lush green lawn, but sometimes what's green, well, it's not exactly grass, nor is it very lush. If the weeds get out of control, they can totally and quickly destroy your lawn. So we're going to share tips on how to make sure that doesn't happen to you on the very next edition of the Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.